0: I'm going to grab a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 6. We're walking through Romans 6 as we head into Easter. Romans 6 is about life and death, about the cross, about all the things that God has done for us in Jesus. Have you ever had a mouse in your house? What do you do? You get a trap and you put some peanut butter or some cheese on it. And you set the trap and you carefully set it so that it doesn't spring back and get your fingers and your eyes probably go something like this. As you're setting the trap and you get it set and you carefully put it on the floor and you slide it under the counter or wherever you're going to put it. And then you go to bed and what are you waiting for all night as you're sleeping in bed? Slap for that trap to snap. Then you have a dilemma. What do I do now? So you go over to the trap, and sure enough, the trap has its little victim in there. But what do you want to make sure of before you go pick that thing up? You want to make sure it's dead. So you maybe take your foot that you wish was about three feet longer, and you kick it, grab a broom, and you poke it with something. You want to make sure it is dead before you deal with it. If it's still alive you may start squealing and run away and call for help. You see, the same thing happens in our lives with the problems in our lives. Once they're dead, we can deal with them. Once we're dead, we can deal with the sin in our lives. But sometimes we approach it and we wince to make sure it's really dead. However, sometimes like the mouse trap, we end up looking at an unsprung trap with no baby. And no mouse, and our lives can be like that. Somehow it slipped through and it didn't do the thing that it was supposed to do. That's where we are in Romans chapter 6, really. This is Paul's flow of thought in Romans chapter 6. The first, really, Romans 1 to 5 leads up to this. He talks about we're all sinners and we all need Jesus. And in Romans chapter 6, he says, Now we're in grace. Um, So we live in grace. And so why would sin increase? Because now we live in grace, because we live under grace. We have to understand grace. And then what Paul says, here's what's happened to you when you became a believer. You were buried into death to rise to a new life. You were literally buried to death. And Paul uses this great picture of of baptism as the burial rite of death and rise to new life flow of thought is Paul wants us to understand that the reason we can live under grace, the reason we can deal with things in our lives is that because a death has occurred. There's been a death in our lives. There's been a spiritual death that has happened to us. So he tells us then in Romans chapter six and verse five, he tells us, here's what happened to you when you were buried to death to rise in a new life, Romans chapter 6, verse 5, for if we have been united with him, who's the him? The him is Jesus. In a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Preview for next week. Just hold that thought. We know, he says, that our old self was crucified with him but the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul says in these few verses that we cannot die to sin and then live in it at the same time. He says we have been united with Jesus in his death. Now that word for united with is the idea of joining two things together and they grow together. For instance, if you break a bone, you have your bones set and your bones Fuse back together, they are united with each other. Or if you've ever grafted a branch into a tree, the branch is grafted in and now they are united with. And so Paul says that we are united with Jesus, that something happens, these things come together and there is something that works together with both of those things. And then he says in verse 6, he says, we know, do you ever notice how often... Paul says we know. Why does he tell us we know over and over? Because we forget. Because we don't know sometimes. Maybe we forget or we just don't know. And Paul is saying we know or we should know. And so, in our lives as believers in Jesus, what Paul is saying, we should know these things. These are the things that will give you the victory over sin in your life. And so then, Paul explains to us how being united in Christ's death frees us from our sin. Look at verse 6. He says, we know, what does he say? We know that our old self was crucified with him. So first of all, here's what Paul says. Paul says our old self was what? Crucified with who? With Jesus Our our fallen, dead spirit, our old self. Ephesians 4.22, it's in your notes. It says this, Paul reminds us to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's the part that was crucified with Christ. In Colossians 3.9, Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, ...with its practices. It's that corrupted, sinful part of us. Ephesians 2, 1. He says, "...and you were dead in the trespasses and sins." So here's what happens... ...when we are united with Christ in His death... ...is that our old self was crucified Him. This That inner person, that inner being... ...that was under the control of sin... ...was crucified. The power of the cross was applied to our fallen souls at death. It was put to death. We don't have to go back in time to the cross, but what it, what happens is the crucifixion comes to us. As we are living in 2019 and we are buried to death, Paul says we are put to death. The effects of the cross then are applied to our lives. You think about crucifixion. This is the week we remember Uh, We we really remember it every Sunday as we celebrate communion, but on the calendar, this is Easter and uh, Palm Sunday, and we remember the crucifixion. And crucifixion was a violent, accursed death. It was not a a beautiful thing like the crosses we see now. It was a horrible, horrible way to die. And Paul says our old selves, those sin-controlled selves that we were, were murdered. Murdered. Was was slain like Jesus was was considered a curse, right? And was was killed. That was our old self. So that's what Paul wants us to know. And he's in, in this imagery of being buried to death. You know that that word baptism. We we use that word in only a spiritual sense now, but in the first century, people heard that and they heard immersed or they heard pushed under, and it's a it was a word that was often associated with people drowning. So in the culture of Jesus' day, when people heard immerse, one of the images they would think is about a shipwreck, and people sinking, and think Titanic. That's what people in uh, Jesus' day would have thought. Of. It it means death. It means a death to a way of life. And so Paul says this. The first thing we need to understand is, our old self, if, if we have been buried with Jesus, if we are in Christ, our old self was crucified with Him. Now here's the good news. Who did the crucifying jesus it was what it was with him i surrender and i submit to him and on the cross he died my death and so as i surrender to him i'm united with him and my old self then is crucified the next thing that he says in verse six is that in order that look we have to understand the progression to understand where we are in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. A couple weeks ago, I was uh, vacuuming around the house, and one of the kids had left one of their chargers plugged into the wall. And so you have a, a, a you have a black charger cord on a dark brown carpet, and you don't really see the charger cord, but you hear the charger cord as it gets sucked into the vacuum. Thwap, 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 thwap. So what is the first thing that I did? I turned off the vacuum because I wanted to cut off the power supply to the vacuum. That's what Paul is describing as happening to us. Look at verse 6 again. We know our old self was crucified with him in order that... There was a reason our old self was crucified, and there was, a, there was a, a, a purpose for which it was crucified, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The body of sin is, is, is this physical body. It's this body that's been infected and controlled by sin. It's not our bodies in, as such as, as living beings but it's that body that's been the victim of sin. It's that body that has been controlled by sin. It's not the origin of sin, but our bodies are the way that sin manifests itself into the world. Think about those besetting habits that you have. Whatever it is. It's almost as if our bodies, right, we have done it so long, it almost becomes a a habit. What do I do when I'm stressed? I get the hog and doss and I get a spoon. And I'm not even really thinking, right, of what's going on. Because this body, that sin, has come out through my body, and so my body now automatically has this reaction. And it's our physical body that responds so easily to sinful impulses. Think about what happens when you get angry. How do people know you're angry? Your eyes are bulging, right? You're just... Uh, your veins are popping, what happens? Because our bodies, anger, Jesus said, is in the heart. That's the root of the sin. But our body is how the sin is expressed, right? Is, is how it comes out. And so Paul says this He says, the, the old person, our spiritual, that sin sick person, was crucified so that our body of sin might be rendered powerless. Now, some translations say it might be done away with. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that the old man was crucified so that you're done away with. What it means is, it literally means, is that it is made ineffective. It's made powerless. See, Paul's progression. The old person was crucified so that the power of sin would be cut off. Just like I had to unplug the vacuum cleaner. If you are... ...playing for the Carolina Hurricanes... ...and you're coming up against the Washington Capitals... ...you don't have to kill Alex Ovechkin, ...or you don't have to kill T.J. Oshie... ...all you have to do is cut their skates off... ...and they will be what? Rendered powerless. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. Remember back in the 1994 Olympics... ...did the names Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan ring a bell? What happened? Tanya didn't want to kill Nancy... She just wanted to hobble her so she couldn't compete in the ice skating competition in the Olympics. She wanted to what? Render her powerless. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this. Your old self was crucified. That was the source of sin. That was that, that's that thing in, in you with its desires that was pushing out through your body. That old self was crucified. So what? Your body now, is, it, it's, it, that is rendered powerless. Now, you may be thinking, you know what? That sounds really good, but why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Because the body of sin continues to be a beachhead for temptations and lusts. Where do temptations and lusts enter into ourselves? Our eyes, our ears, our minds, which is still a part of our physical part of our bodies, right? And so Paul then in Romans chapter seven, he describes this conflict. He says, the good that I want to do, I don't want to do. But the bad I don't want to do, this is what I do. And so what Paul is saying is, this body of sin, I still have this body of sin. My old self was redeemed. But this body of sin is not redeemed. It will be redeemed when Jesus returns and we get our resurrected body. That's the hope of Easter. That's the hope of resurrection. But Paul says, in the meantime, I got these two working kind of not so good together. Have you ever been there? I have. You have that body of sin that you know that you are saved, you know that you are redeemed, you know that your old self has been crucified, and yet you're still walking around with this body, this body that had sinned before the old self was crucified, and those things rear their ugly head after we were crucified. And so Paul says, this old self was crucified so that the body of sin might be rendered powerless. It's not done away with. We are still in these bodies. We still have these bodies, but the inside has been changed. And so then he goes on in verse 6 and he says, so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, and then there's another so that, and the so that is this, is so we would be free. That's where, but we have to, we can't miss the progression. It's the body of sin that was crucified, or the old self that was crucified. It's the body of sin that's rendered powerless. We still have it, we still walk around in it. That's how you got to church today. You didn't leave your body at home. Some of you are like, I wish I was, I'm really tired. <laughs> I wish I was still at home in bed. But, but we walk around in these bodies of sin so that we're free. That's, that's, a, that's the whole point of it. We are, we are no longer enslaved to sin is what Paul says. We once were. Sin was calling the shots. It was the old self that was calling the shots. Now there's somebody else calling the shots. It's the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, but we're still in these bodies of sin. The threat of sin still lurks because we have these bodies that have sinned, that are used to sinning. Um, you know, the, the endorphins, all that stuff of sin has 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 changed us and has, has uh changed these bodies. Now there there's these heartbreaking exceptions, right? The old self is crucified, and we say, why don't I just live this perfect life? He, this is why we need to understand this. This right here is why we struggle. This right here is why we're not always free. This is why we are why we feel like we're doing well, and then we fall. We say, Lord, how did I do this? It's because of this. The body of sin is still there. The old self has been crucified. Jesus said what? The spirit is what? Tell me, church, willing, but the flesh is We. This is what he's talking about. Inside, I want to do it. That's what Paul says in Romans 7. I desire to do this. But when push comes to shove, I'd rather push and shove you. That's what he's saying. We need to know this so we understand where we are and how then we can overcome, which Paul's going to get to in just a minute. Now listen, there is a vast difference between committing a sin and constantly living and delighting in sin. I have heard sincere believers, and maybe you have struggled with that, you say, Lord, I messed up again. There is a difference in our lives between committing a sin, the body of sin will have its way sometimes, or constantly living in and delighting in sin. The second one is what Paul says we have been delivered from, the constantly delighting in, the constantly living in sin, That's what Paul says we've been delivered from. That's the old self. And we are delivered from that. But we still have the body of sin. We still have this wrestling. We still have this this thing going on. So then he gets to verse 7, and it's kind of one of those Proverbs. He says, for one who has died has been set free from sin. It's kind of that general maxim, right? It's that thing that, that Paul is kind of summarizing. And he says, we have died with Christ... It sets us free from that power. Death marks the end of sin's rule. That sin, we are not enslaved to sin. Now, Paul says, we know. So now we know, but what do we do with what we know? It's not as simple as just knowing, because that makes a disconnect from our living. But knowing our old self has been crucified, Paul then gives us three practical how-tos. I'm going to give you those this morning. This, uh, a dominion over sin. So as you struggle, and as you feel like, Lord... I just, what's going on here? Paul says, first of all, I want you to know everything we just talked about, right? Your old self was crucified. Your body of sin has been rendered powerless so that you can be free from sin. And so Paul then gives us some therefores. And so in verse 11, he says, So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now listen, this is one of those things that's so... Simple, but it's so overlooked. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying this. Say no to sin. He said, so you must, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does Paul say? He says, when you are facing sin, do you consider yourself dead to sin or not? When you face it, do you say, no, I died to this Or, do we do what we sometimes do, and we flirt with sin, we dance with it, we entertain it in our minds, we live this dangerous tango, and we don't say no. We live in a world that is very sensitive today about romantic advances, right? But there is, and there's a lot of emphasis on consent, right? You gotta get consent for it, right? But, for sin to be effective we have to give it our consent. We have to say, okay, sin, have your way. Or we don't think, what Paul says in verse 11, this is so very practical, consider yourselves dead to sin. Oftentimes, we consider ourselves alive to sin. We say, there's no way I'm going to overcome this. There's no way I cannot stop doing this. There's no way, right? Instead, Paul says, your thinking's wrong. You need to count yourself dead to sin. Sin desires to have us, but we don't have to have it. Just because it comes knocking doesn't mean we need to open the door. Larry Crabb says this, count it true. That's what Paul says. He says, says, count it true. Consider yourselves. Larry Crabb says this, we count ourselves as really dead. When I'm faced with a sinful pattern of thinking, and I therefore am prompted to behave sinfully, I am to die to that sinful pattern experientially just as I already am dead to it positionally. See what he's saying? Positionally, I am dead to it. In Christ, what's happened? I have been crucified. My old self has been crucified. So what he says, positionally, before God, God says, your old self has been crucified. And Larry Crabb says, so now in my living, I need to live as if my old self is crucified. That's the we know. He said, I am to actualize in my immediate experience that which God says is true. Here's what God says. I am dead to sin. I am to identify with Christ in his death by doing exactly what he did with sin. Both the Father and the Son, in the events of the cross, shout a thunderous no to sin. You know the cross was God's no to sin? It was no to sin. That sin will not rule over my people. No, sin will not have its way. No, sin will be defeated by hanging on the cross. Jesus was providing for us an eternal no to sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And so there is a, there is a exchange that takes place. And so the very first thing we do is say no to sin. When's the last time we've just said no to sin? We've been, we've been tempted, we've had uh, temptations, we have things come our way, and we, we just don't say no. We start thinking about it, and we start doing this thing. Like, how close can I get? Instead of just saying no. What is saying no is, I'm, I'm reckoning myself, that's what Paul says, consider yourself, I'm no, my old self has been crucified, I've been raised with Christ, I am new, now I consider myself, dead to sin there's a casualness in which we refuse to acknowledge our personal sin you know i really shouldn't be doing this right like we get into those places or i know i'm wrong but so is he or or my sin isn't as bad as hers and we get into these places where we start doing this thing and all the time we're entertaining and all the time we're doing this dangerous dance and paul says no you need to count yourselves as dead to sin There needs to be a decisive no at the moment of temptation. Then we keep saying no every day, as long as we live multiple times a day. Don't ever stop saying no. The next thing Paul says in verse 12 is, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. What Paul says is this, take charge of your body. Take charge of your body. If you're walking down a hallway, and there is a wall, and there's a hallway to the left or the right, what are you going to do? You're going to turn left, or you're going to turn right. You're not just going to walk into the wall and be like, oh, I have no control over my body. I'm just going to stand here walking into this wall until somebody turns me. We do all the time take charge of ourselves. What happens when you poke poke that mouse in the trap and it starts squealing, right? You start squealing because it's a response of fear. But have you ever noticed... That sin works just the opposite. There's an enticement to draw you in, not make you run away. The the, the trap is that it wants to draw you in. Why Paul says in Scripture, he says what? To flee. He said, renew your mind. He said, don't entertain a thought. He says, take your thoughts captive. He says, do all these things. And what are we doing? We are taking charge of our body. We can let sin reign over us, or we can reign over it. We can obey its passions, or we can say, no, that I am taking charge of this. It's a deliberate effort to take charge of our body, the body of death, right? This physical this physical part of us. The famous quote by Martin Luther. He says, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And so there's a thing that we have... Right? We don't have to entertain it, and don't let it. Grace does not give us an excuse to keep on sinning, but it makes us possible to stop sinning. And there's this tension then that remains between what? The redeemed spirit and the unredeemed body. However, the body now has been what? Rendered powerless. It's no longer the willing partner in sin. You see, we were in big trouble before. Our spirits were unredeemed, and our bodies were unredeemed. That's like you know putting two mischievous kids together in the same house alone for the weekend. That we, nothing good is going to come from that. Paul says, but that's what you used to be. But now you have a redeemed you. Yes, this body of sin has been rendered powerless. The body of sin is is what doesn't have to be a willing partner because our spirits have been redeemed. If you ever had a bad dance partner, maybe you like to dance, and you just had somebody that couldn't dance, and they're stepping on your toes, and they're tripping you up, and you have all these things. It's the same thing in our lives when our, bo- our, our bodies of sin and this old self, were, they, we we're just bad dance partners. Some of us are still dancing with a soul that has two left feet it 's not been redeemed like it's it, 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 the body of sin and it's this dance like this dance is going, but Paul says, no, your old self has been your old self has been crucified you need, and you have this new self, you need to let the new self lead you don't try to lead the dance you let the, the new self lead, and so some of us just have to get a new dance partner we've been allowing the body of sin to lead or the un- redeemed spirit if we're not in christ to lead but jesus says if you're in christ that's been crucified the body of sin has been powerless you let the new self lead you let them the new self your new self call the shots jesus saved us from our sin at the cross but he also saved us from our sin after the cross like every day he can do it so we need to just take charge don't ever give up and say you know what i can't do this what have you already done you've already lost you've already lost Paul says, you need to know that your old self has been crucified. This body with its temptations and lust is rendered powerless. Now, who are you going to let lead? Third thing he says, very practical, is in verse 13. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Paul says this. You can present your members. And when the Bible says members, it literally means your members. If you cut off an arm, you say, what? I lost a member. If a, right? the member, Your members, the parts of your body. That's why Paul uses the body as a metaphor for the church. We are members, not in a club kind of way, but we are members in a body kind of way. So the members of your body, Paul says to what? Offer them to God. The idea behind this offering was to present the uh, a person's assets to the serving to serve uh, to a king or a monarch and so a person had some maybe land or they had some uh some horses or they had some gold or some wealth and the king called them to service and they would say here are my assets i give them to you as an offering for you and your service that's what we do with god we take what we have And we offer it to him. We offer our members of our body either to sin or we offer them to God. You know, the Bible says, Job says this. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. What does he say that for? He says, I'm offering my eyes to God. That part of the body of sin that you struggle with, whatever that is, offer it to the Lord. Say, Lord, this I've offered to sin. Now I want to offer it to you. I want to give it to you for your service. I want to dedicate my mind and my hands and my eyes and my tongue. I want to dedicate all those things and present them to you. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, what does he say, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's not been done away with. It's been rendered powerless. It's still living, but I give it as a living sacrifice, holy, set apart, and acceptable to God. He will receive it. He will will accept it, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, that you may discern what God's will is. So Paul says, offer yourself to God. How do I do this? My old self has been crucified. My body of sin has been rendered powerless. And I surrender to him. I've been freed from sin. The question is, how am I trying? Not, not, not that I'm trying, but it's the how that's important. Not every problem in life is solved through grit and effort. It just isn't. Think about Relationships things that are going wrong in your life, and you say, man, if I just put some more effort into this, if I really get serious about this, if I really just do everything I have that I put into this, some things in life just don't get solved through grit and effort. We can try and try and try and try and it doesn't change it. Sin is ...never disappears because of how hard we try... ...but how we try. How are we trying to have dominion over sin in our lives? How are we doing that? It's not how hard, but it's how. And sometimes we don't avail ourselves of the resources... ...that God has given to us. What we couldn't do... ...listen... What we couldn't do, Jesus did for us. By his death, he crucified sin in us when we are united to him. That's something we can't do ourselves. You ever try to crucify your own sin? It doesn't work. We just can't do it. And so what we couldn't do for ourselves, Jesus did for us. That's the gospel. The gospel is, you couldn't do this for yourself But Jesus did it for us. He did it for us perfectly. And when we are in Him, the benefits are applied to us. My my old self has been crucified with Him. It's no longer I who live, but who? It's the Son of God who lives in me. Faith in Him. It's all throughout Scripture. The old self is renewed. The body of sin is powerless. And when I allow the new self to lead instead of the old self, I will be freed from sin. The body of sin is, is, listen, it's just rendered powerless. We have some power and we are powerless at the same time. This is kind of the paradox of the gospel. We're both powerful and we're both powerless at the same time. And isn't that really where our struggle comes from? We feel like, yes, I can do this. I can do this. We just feel strong and powerful. And then we fall. We say, what happened? Where did all my power go? What happened? I felt so very powerless in that moment. We're very powerful when we're sitting in church. Yes, Lord, I can conquer any sin. And then we get out. And we face the temptation. And we face the struggle. And all of a sudden, we're like, Lord, what happened? I was so powerful sitting in church on Sunday. I felt so very powerful. And now I'm in this situation... And I feel so very powerless. And that's just the kind of the paradox of living in this unredeemed body with a redeemed soul in an unredeemed world that's controlled by Satan. And we want to please the Lord and the power of the spirits in us, but the power of the prince of the air, we have all this stuff going on. And so the beauty of the gospel is what we can't do, God did for us in Jesus. There's two things we need to remember. The first one is this. We must not underestimate what we can do. Don't underestimate what you can do. Don't underestimate the power to say no to sin. Don't underestimate the power, the control of our body that we have. We often use the excuse, and it's with kids. Uh, you hear them fighting, and you walk in, and one of them has a bloody nose. Did you hit your sister? Yeah. Well, why'd you hit your sister? Because he made me do it. We learn from little on up. It's somebody else's... Somebody else did it. He took my hand. He made a fist, right? Then he took my... Turned it this way. He pushed my arm back. And then he pulled my fist into his face. He made me do it. We do it all the time with sin. Devil made me do it. My wife made me do it. My kids made me do it. My boss made me do it. Don't underestimate... What you can do. We, we, have, we have power over our faculties. We have power over our bodies. We have power over, our, over our, our physicalness. Driving all the time, we have to course correct because what? We have control over that. So we don't, don't underestimate what you can do. Don't, don't say, well, well I, I, sin just, it's just something I, I just got to give in. But here's the gospel, and this is the hard tension we live in. We must not overestimate what we can do. (laughs) Don't underestimate what we can do. Don't give it over and say, well, I have no choice in the matter. But the other problem is this. We overestimate what we can do. We we need a spiritual help. We need a a spiritual power. And so sometimes, isn't it true that our problems come, we overestimate what we can do. We say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to handle this, and I'm going to face this, and I'm going to tackle this. And then after we failed, we say, what in the world went wrong? Or, or, right, we underestimate what we can do. We say, ah, I can't really do anything. (laughs) It's just who I am. It's just who I am. But the gospel, there's this tension. And we read about that in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says this, therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. And here's what Paul says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul says two things. He says, number one, that you don't underestimate what you can do. Work out your salvation. Paul didn't say earn your salvation. Paul didn't say you deserve your salvation. What's he saying? He's saying once you have been crucified with Christ... ...and now you're living this life... ...you need to work it out. You have a responsibility... You have a responsibility to be in God's word. You have a responsibility to pray. You have a responsibility to worship. You have a responsibility to be holy. Nobody else can do that for you. You need to work it out. You need to become more like Jesus. But Paul says, so don't underestimate what you can do. But then he also comes in and what does he say? It's God who what? Who works in you. Both to will and to work. So don't overestimate what you can do. Sometimes if we're honest, the problem isn't that we can't, but that we won't. The problem isn't that I can't say no to sin. The problem is I don't want to say no to sin. Because, oh, if we're honest, doesn't sin feel good for a moment? It feels good for a season. It feels good until it's over. And then there we are with the guilt and the shame and the regret and all of the consequences that come with it. So it's not that we sometimes can't, it's that we just don't want to. This body of sin is calling the shots. And so Paul says in Philippians, it is God who, what? who will help you to have the want to, to want to. So when you don't feel like doing it, you say, Lord, I'm, I'm really overestimating what I can do here. I need your help to will me to want to do the thing that you want me to do. Guess what God will do? He'll say, yes, I've just been waiting for you to ask. I've been wondering why you've been fumbling and falling down around all this time. I'm just waiting for you to ask. And so now he wills and he works in us. The Holy Spirit motivation in our lives is that work that God does in us. Andrew Murray said this, the cause of weakness in your Christian life is that you want to work it out partly and let God help you. We want to work our faith out partly and then let God help us. We want him to fill in the things we can't do. So we go through life and we do all this stuff. And then when we get in trouble, we pray. And when we get in trouble, but the Bible says it's both. We can do and God helps us. We can do, don't underestimate what we can do, but at the same time, God helps us. It's like if you play pool and uh, you're at the pool table, and you got the pool stick, and you're 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 lined up to the cue ball, and you're you're getting ready to do your shot. This is what you can do, but here's here's who's with you. God. He's right behind you with that same pose, and right, he's going to help you. Who's moving the pool stick? I am. But who's with me? God's with me. Who's moving the pool stick? I am, but who's helping me? God is. And so we go through life and that's what it does is what we can do. And God helps us. And that's the beauty of the gospel is it's not one or the other. It's both at the same time. And it doesn't really make a lot of sense. God, what do you mean? I have to do what I do. God's like, yeah, you do what you do, but I'll be there to help you. But don't blame me, but you have to do what you need to do. But I'm going to give you the power to do what you don't want to do. And it all works together. Jesus began his ministry in the wilderness, and he had faced temptations by by Satan. And uh, at the end of his life, he faced another temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says, Father, if all things are possible for you, remove this cup from me, but not what I want, but what you want. The way we overcome temptation is to say, Lord, not what I want, but what you want. And sometimes, if we're honest, we don't want the things of God. Can we just be honest? In these bodies of of sin, we just don't want the things of God. We want to do what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it, because it feels good, we think, and sometimes we just don't want to do it, but overcoming temptation says, Lord, not what I want, but it's what you want. You've given me a new nature. I'm struggling in this body of sin. Help me to overcome Jesus. The Bible says about Jesus, we... Do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's the Jesus that we love. That's the Jesus that we serve. The, The order in Scripture is clear. There is death, and then there is life. First, there's the brokenness of sin, and then there's the beauty of resurrection. First, there is the, the brokenness of our pride, and then there is what? There is the beauty of exaltation. The order is clear. I need to die first in order to experience life, in order to experience resurrection. And so today, we remember Jesus in his mission to go and die. Next Sunday, we remember the resurrection as we tie it all together. But first in our lives, we need to die first. We'll never have dominion over sin unless something in us hasn't died. Paul says that in Romans 6. We know that if we were crucified in a death like his, what happens? We'll be raised in a new life like his. It's God, not what I will, but what you will. I will do what you will, and when I can't do what you will, I thank you that you work in me to will and to work for your good pleasure. That'll give you victory over sin. Who are you dancing with today? Are you allowing that body of sin to call the shots? Or are you allowing your new nature to lead? Maybe you're not in Christ. You have been buried with him into a death like his. And the old nature in the body of sin, they're just wreaking havoc in your life. They are great dancing partners. They're just leading you all over the place. We just need to change dancing partners. Who's going to call the shots? Our old self has been crucified, so that what? This body of sin might be rendered powerless so that we can be free. As we pray and as we come time to just commit to Jesus and to say, Lord, I understand the struggle. (laughs) I get the struggle. But thank you for clearing up where this struggle is coming from. I just got these bad dancing partners (laughs) But I want to let you lead. I want to let you call the shots. And I want to, even when I don't want to, I want to give you and pray and say, Lord, you will in me and you work in me to do what you want me to do. Listen, don't ever get frustrated that there is a struggle. Because if you are in a struggle, you will recognize that there are two forces at work in your life. It's the people who don't struggle that are in deep trouble. They don't think anything's wrong. They don't think they think everything is okay. But it's when we struggle and we know the struggle is real, and we know that what I want to do, I don't do. But Paul says, "Here's why: Are you saying no to sin? Controlling your body? Are you offering yourself to God? And then, we, and all of that? Are you relying on God's working in you? Would you please stand? And we're going to pray. And if you have a prayer need, we'll ask you just to slip to the back, and the guys will meet you back there to your right." But for all of us, we understand this struggle. We know that, that sin is powerless, but it's still powerful. We know that we can do it, but we can't do it. That's why we need Jesus. That's why Jesus came as a man and lived among us to offer himself as a sacrifice for us. To do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. There are no self-made Christians. There might be self-made millionaires, but there's no self-made Christians. It's God who makes us. It's Jesus who makes us. It's Jesus who works in us. Would you just pray as we think about this death of Jesus applied to our lives? Father, we just humbly come before you. And God, there's not a person in this room that doesn't understand the struggle of this battle that we're in as much as we love you lord as much as we we sing and we worship in our we agree with you in our spirits we know that the flesh is weak but god give us the the dominion over sin to help us to remember that we died to sin just to to see it for what it is and to count ourselves as dead people walking we're dead to sin in our spirits so Father, give us the will and the want to to work it out through our bodies into this world that we interact with. So for these next few moments, would you just convict and encourage, challenge us, give us the power that we need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.